The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Not just anybody. Help. You know I need someone. Help. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 201 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is family caregivers help us defeat depression. Depression is an illness that may at some stages seem like the normal emotion of sadness, but it's actually a serious illness. Depression also accompanies most serious mental illnesses. Depression can be severely incapacitating, sometimes with tragic outcomes, such as suicide. But depression can be treated and can be cared for successfully, which means that there is hope for persons, its effects, and for their family caregivers. But the treatment and care for people affected by depression must be based on sound information and delivered carefully by people, including family caregivers, who understand depression and understand the treatment and the care that they are providing. Which is why our topic, Family Caregivers Help Us Defeat Depression, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Dave Golson. Dave is the Associate National Director of the Mood Disorders Society of Canada. In 2002, he created a seven-week skills development program for persons with mental health challenges. He led this program's expansion to six cities across Canada, and by 2009, it has assisted over a 1,000 Canadians living with mental illnesses to return to work plus another 200 to return to school. The program, that's Dave's program, was recognized by the Sharing the Flame Excellence in Learning Award from the Canadian Council on Learning. Uh, Dave is co-chair of the Canadian Alliance on Mental Illness and Mental Health and has served on the Canadian Psychological Association Task Force on Evidence-Based Psychological Treatments. He's well known in the mental health community, having developed a wide government and stakeholder network through his reputation of leadership through caring. He's engaged nationally on many committees and panels where he speaks from his professional and his personal experience. So welcome to the show, Dave. Oh, thank you, Gordon. It's really, really good to be here. Great. Now, question number one for you is, please tell us more about your personal story. Oh, well, Gordon, I, I didn't start off in mental health, that's for sure. I started off in, in the mining industry many years ago, and uh, 
uh, after I was involved uh, in, in a car accident, I, um, I was seriously injured and ended up spending about oh, four and a half months in a hospital, and then I went through uh, a couple of years of rehabilitation and everything like that. And it was during that time that I was diagnosed with PTSD and at that time some, some depression as well. Um, you know, coming from an area that many people, many families come from is not being involved in mental health. There was always that stigma that's attached to it. So rather than uh, accept the diagnosis and accept the uh, acknowledge the the issues, I pretty well put it in the back burner and, and pretended everything was okay. And, and I carried on through life. I ended up uh, working in a disability arena and then moved over to mental health when I realized that mental health was really the core of all uh, all. Uh, disabilities and, and illnesses, in my perspective anyways, and I've been in mental health for the last 13 years. Um, so that's how I became involved in mental health, uh, extensively involved across Canada with the Mood Disorder Society of Canada, and we were doing some really, really great uh, innovative projects. Now, please tell us about the Mood Disorders of Society of Canada. What does it do? What's it there to do? Well, I think the best way of describing the Mood Disorder Society of Canada is to say that we're a very innovative and collaborative organization. We really love working with other organizations, other networks, and, and community groups. Um, we do, we provide everything from personal supports and, and uh, information, uh, a wealth of information on our websites, but also we reach out to the communities and try to support their initiatives as well. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the Defeat Depression campaign in a few minutes, but just to give you an idea of some of the work we're involved with. We're doing a, a, a co-project with the Canadian, with the Arthritis Society, and what this is going to do is we're going to uh, develop uh, training programs and resources and tools for employers and for trainers across Canada to address the issue of basically the comorbidity of depression and chronic pain. Uh, chronic pain with people with arthritis can lead to depression, which leads to serious or more more intense pain, which leads to more depression and vice versa. So there's a direct link between physical illnesses and mental health issues. So that's one of the projects we're, we're working on. And we're also working on the uh, Canadian uh, Depression Research and Intervention Network with a joint project with the Mental Health Commission of Canada and the Royal Ottawa Mental Health Institute. Uh, we're developing uh, centers of, uh, of depression research across Canada over a five-year project, and the federal government was kind enough to support our work by uh, providing $5 million in order to do that. And what this uh, uh, network is really primarily going to be doing is making sure that the patient is at the center of all work and that they're involved at all steps of this of this network. So that's really, really a, a new way of doing it, making sure it's person-centered. Dave, just one technical question. You use the word comorbidity. What does it mean? Well, it, it, the, the existence of uh, more than one uh, illness, uh, it, can be, it can be, people look at it in different ways, but in, in, this, in this case, it's kind of uh, having both a physical and a, and a mental illness, arthritis being the physical illness and, and, meta, and, and depression being the mental illness. Got it. And they go, go together. Yeah, yes, often they do. Uh, mental illnesses also are comorbid with uh, with uh, uh, 
addiction issues can be a, be a case. I mean, if you go back to when I first started talking about PTSD, one of the one of the symptoms of PTSD is that in many cases, like depression, it takes a long time before a person will be willing to acknowledge that they are in fact uh, living with PTSD or experiencing PTSD or depression. And often, especially when it comes to men, um, they try and mask those feelings and those and those moments of anxieties and discomfort, and, and they can get into things like uh, you know self medication, uh, overconsumption of alcohol, and, and stuff like that. So it is uh, often uh, tied in together. Right now, you, what's the defeat depression campaign that you're involved with? Please tell us about that. Well, one of the things that the Buddhist Soldier Society of Canada and our board and everybody that's involved in our organization really knows from, you know, years and years of experience is that many cases, small local mental health organizations are really the ones carrying the bulk of the workload. They're the ones dealing with the caregivers, the family members, the, the persons coming uh, in their doors looking for support and resources and help. And oftentimes they're not adequately funded. Uh, they rely on a, a, an extensive amount of volunteer work uh, to make sure that their services are continually provided and everything. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to uh, support their work in any way that we could. And the way that we we, we ended up working is that we developed a national uh, fundraising awareness, anti-stigma, and, uh, and uh, an activity event called Defeat Depression. We started this last May, May 27th last year was our first event. Uh, and what we did was we developed all of the resources and, and the toolkits and everything for them to start having walks and runs in their communities, the same as other fundraising events. But this one was geared towards mental illness, depression in particular. And uh, we were surprised and very, very pleased when instead of having the maybe eight or ten cities that we thought we were going to have, we had 23 communities across Canada take part in the first event. And it was a fantastic result. I mean, the organizations raised, you know, $7,000 here and there, a couple thousand dollars here and there. But, you know, it wasn't altogether the money, although that money is important because, you know, $7,000 to a small local mental health organization can provide a peer support program for a full year. You know, um, it was the way that they took upon this this this, this campaign. It was, a, it was the way that they worked collaboratively with other organizations in their communities, with, with members of their communities, and it was the way that the families themselves came on board and joined the campaign and supported this cause. That, that was really, really heartwarming. You know, this year here, we're already past 30 centers across Canada. We've got people, you know, connecting from, from various places that don't even have campaigns yet but want to get involved. So we're going to create a process this year that's going to allow them to do that. It's, it's, it's a wonderful campaign. It's, it's growing. It's, it's the only, like I said, national mental health campaign in Canada that, that works with dozens of different mental health organizations across this country. And, and it's really um, a fantastic campaign. That, that helps the people that need it that are in the community. You know, this is where a lot of the money needs to go. It needs to be directed to the ground. It needs to be directed to the person down the road that's living in the corner, that is living with a person with a mental illness or suffering from a mental illness themselves. And they need the help and they need the support of our great local mental health organizations across the country. Dave, would it be right then to say that um, what the money and the enthusiasm and the effort generated by the 
defeat depression campaign is going towards is actual care um, in the community, delivered by community organizations for people who are experiencing or are involved with depression who live in that local community. Is that correct? What oh, I just that's said 100% correct, Gordon. I mean, uh, you know, this, this money is not going to, uh, to big campaigns or, or advertisements or stuff like that, Gordon. This money is going right to the ground, right to the communities that need it the most. Uh, and like I said when I, when I began expressing my, my, uh, my thoughts about this campaign, these are community-based organizations that need the support of everybody in the community. You know, I know mental illness is getting to have more acknowledgement, more mention in the media and stuff like that, but, but, but still, these community organizations are not being funded as they should be. So that's why it's our hope and our dream that this campaign continues to spread, that people hear this message and join the campaign, go online and make a donation or get involved, volunteer with one of the local organizations that are hosting this event. And if they're not in your community, then please, you know, reach out, can contact us. We'll help set up a, a campaign in your community uh, because this is all about us helping each other. This is all about us working with the family down the road and our families because there's not one of us that is not touched by one of our members of, in our family that's touched by depression or another mood disorder. In these community efforts, the kind of thing you're describing, um, what I hear on this show and learn about in other places is that people who've traveled the road, so to speak, of depression, whether it's in a family member or in themselves, when they recover, they want to, so to speak, pause, look over the shoulder and reach out to help somebody else. Is that, in your experience with this campaign, also a factor? Without ex exception, you know, um, you know, whether it's through our social media or through our online discussion forums, or whether it's on the, at, at the local events, uh, talking to each other and stuff like that, you know, we all want to share our experience uh, and, and share what worked for us and share what didn't work for us. And, you know, with depression and as with other mood disorders, you know, what works for one person might not work for the next person, but at least we share our experience. It's, it's about talking. It's about, it's about being able to open up and feel comfortable and feel safe by by talking about your depression or, or talking about your other mood disorders, you know that's the key thing is being able to share share some of the weight that that is carried inside when you're going through these feelings. Right. Now it is time uh, for us to take the break, so let's do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dave Golson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to share success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Hear about personal growth, building a better business, inspirational life stories, and personal branding. You'll find it every day at voiceamericaempowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. If you think you've seen online TV before, 
Let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dave Golson. Our topic is Family Caregivers Help Us Defeat Depression. So let's talk about depression. Dave, what is depression? And is it sufficiently recognized as a serious illness by enough people? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Uh, first of all, let me just cover what depression is. It's a common mental disorder. And what it is, it's characterized by sadness, loss of interest or pleasure, you know, feelings of guilt or uh, very low self-esteem, self-worth. Your sleep is disturbed. Your appetite is, is, is not, not there. You have low energy, uh, poor concentration, you know. They can be, they can, it can be a continual thing, it can be reoccurrent, but it's usually always, uh, to, to be kind of termed as depression. It's longer than two weeks in, in, in length. Um, and it, it, it really impairs a person's ability to cope with their daily life. Uh, now, do people think that it's a serious mental illness? Um, I think that as people learn more about depression, they, they realize that there is various levels of depression. There's seasonal affective disorder, of course, but there's also depression that is truly crippling almost. Um, you know, um, I have loved ones that, that, that have experienced depression where, you know, their whole world was turned absolutely upside down and it's, it's heart-wrenching to, to watch that happen. Um, it is a serious mental illness. It, 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 it's not something to be taken lightly. Um, you know, it, it's something that when you feel that you might be experiencing depression or if you feel like a loved one could be experiencing depression, you need to take steps. You need to investigate. You need to ask those key questions. You need to learn about what depression is and what it isn't. And you need to reach out for help because undiagnosed or untreated depression can become extremely um, uh, unhealthy and very, very disturbing to one's life very, very quickly. Right. Dave, Still on the question of depression, please tell us about who it affects and how the various kinds of people it affects, how it affects them. Dave? Well, I, I can't, I don't know one family. I really honestly don't know one family that hasn't been impacted by depression. 
you know, uh, they say that one in five will experience a mental illness or a mental health problem in each given year, and that you know, basically four to five percent are depressed. Four to five percent of Canadians are are depressed at any one time. Um, so it's a significant amount of people. Uh, they say that eight percent of Canadians will be have a serious depression at at one time in their life. Uh, the way that it affects them, as I said earlier, you know, sadness uh, throughout the day, basically every day, loss of interest or enjoyment of, of things that we used to enjoy in our lives. It might be going to hockey games. It might be playing playing rugby. It might be, uh, you know, going for walks with, the, with your loved ones and stuff like that. You start to pull away from that. You don't want to become involved with social activities. Uh, you know, sometimes it, 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 it means inappropriate feelings of guilt or, or and, and like you said earlier on, um, uh, Gordon, you know, serious depression can lead to, to suicide. Um, you know, in Canada, there's uh, about 4,000 suicides uh, a year. That means like 11 people a, a day are, are taking their lives. Um, and I've dealt with, I've, I've worked with many, many families who have um, suffered the tragedy of, of having a loved one, um, uh, you know, uh, lose their lives due to suicide. And, and it's really heart-wrenching because there's always feelings of survivor guilt. There's always feelings of why didn't I, I see signs? Why didn't I see signals? And, you know, could I have done something? What didn't I do? And stuff like that. So it's, it's very, very hurtful to, to the surviving members and stuff like that. And, and, but, you know, depression is such a, such a all-consuming illness when it gets past the point of, of a person feeling like there's hope. And that's when it's very important to make sure that there's help available. You know, depression, it, it's almost like it's almost can be contagious because you can have a person that's living with depression or suffering through a serious depression, and it starts to affect the lives of the family members and caregivers around them. You know, and it's very hard because it's, you know, with a, with a physical illness, whether it's a broken arm or, you know, a cracked tooth or, or, or a cut leg or something like that, you can see that injury. But when it comes to depression and PTSD and other mental health issues, you can't see that, and you're wondering why you can't make it better. And that's, those are some of the feelings of guilt I was talking about earlier. So, you know, there, there's, it, it is an extremely serious illness. It is, it is a, a valid illness. It's no different than having a, a, a very serious physical injury. Um, and, and like I said, it has to be taken, you know, very, very, very seriously. Just on the same question of how it affects people, how do, how do people who are living with depression get on with work when the depression is being troublesome in the way they live their lives? How do they get on with it? If you're talking just in terms of the workplace, I could, I could certainly address that. But I think yes. you might be talking maybe a little bit more general in terms and all that stuff. And I, I always say to people that the number one thing that you need to do in order to uh, start battling and, and, and recovering from depression and overcoming uh, the, some of the symptoms of depression is to learn as much as you can about the illness and accept the illness and, and recognize that depression, when it hits, it affects people differently. 
You know, it, it's one thing to go to, uh, you know, a community counseling clinic and, and, and to get counseling. It's another thing to go to your family doctor and, and perhaps get some medication that might assist you and all that stuff. But it's, it's another thing to know that depression operates on its own time schedule. Depression only operates the way it's going to operate, and nobody can, can change that. And sometimes I think the hardest thing to deal with is the fact that it can take longer than what you want or what you expect it to take in order to start feeling better, in order to start experiencing uh, the brighter side of the days and, and that it's not an overwhelming thing. I, I know that when you're in a serious bout of depression, as soon as you become conscious, you start feeling these anxiety feelings and, and, and these down feelings and these, and these hopeless feelings and stuff like that. And the only peace that you get is when you're unconscious. And I know it's, it's so hard to deal with, and, and you battle that every day. And finally, you know, you get to a day when you, you realize after you've been up for a couple, hey, I haven't felt that way for so long. And then the next day it's another couple hours, and then, it'll, you know, it starts to get better. And so, you know, that's, that's the key thing. Right. Now, let's talk about the care that's needed for persons who are going through this, I don't know what you call it, this cycle, this, um, this sort of effect on them that lasts an unreasonable amount of time by anybody's reckoning. Uh, what's the sort of care that's needed for persons in that situation? Well, the first thing that they have to do is they have to learn all they can about depression, what it is, what it isn't, how it's treated, how it's manifest, and, and, and everything like that. Learn as much as you can. Go online, uh, go to mental health organizations website. You know that m- almost every single one of them has some information about what depression is. MDSC.ca. We have a lot of information on our, on our, our website as well. Uh, and the next thing to do is look at your appropriate depression treatment. Nowhere to go in your community to get help, whether it's a community counseling agency, whether it's, whether it's a mental health clinic, whether it's a local mental health organization, or whether it's the emergency room at the hospital. You have to know where that you can go for help. The third thing is getting some emotional support. You need to be able to reach out to, to find somebody to, that you can trust, that you can share your emotions with, your, your, your thoughts with, that you can ask for advice, that you can get, you know, that, and, and you feel safe with that person. That's, that's the key thing. You have to be able to sit down across the table or sit down and have a cup of coffee or, 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 or go for a walk with and say, you know what, I am feeling so terrible, uh, and I, I, I can't get up in the morning. I, I don't want to go outside. Whatever you're feeling, you need to be able to share that and get some honest-to-God feedback um, from that person. The other people who are listening to that person that's, that's sharing, you know, they have to be able to listen without being judgmental. They have to be able to take the person's words as serious, uh, but without, you know, coming back to them and patting them on the hand and saying, there, there, it's going to be okay, and uh, we'll get through this together and stuff like that. You really have to be empathetic. You have to understand that, that this person is going through a serious illness right now and that everything that they're describing to you is really happening in their life. And, and so, so that's, that's one of the key things in terms of being a person that's listening. Right. Now, you talked about emotional support so that the person who's going through the depression can feel safe with whoever they're sharing their experience with. Please talk about family in that. 
inert context. Can family, family members, family caregivers provide the emotional support or is it better for the emotional support to come from outside the family? I'm not asking you to be judgmental here, but just to speak from experience of what seems to work best for most people. Dave? I think I think both. I think in, in an ideal situation that you would have both of those components. Number one, yes, you'd be able to share with your family. It's amazing how many families I talk to. I do, I do large presentations and employer presentations and government presentations and community group presentations and stuff like that. And, I, and you know, one out of every second person that I, that I talk to that has teenage children, and I ask them, have you ever sat at the kitchen table and talked to your kids about depression or have you ever sat down and talked about suicide uh, and what's going on out there? And, and inevitably, they always say, half of them say no. And uh, what I tell them is that, well, your kids are having these conversations at school. You know, they're, they're, they're talking to their friends or on social media. They know people who have either made a plan to take their lives or they know people who's, who have taken their lives and so that they're having those conversations. So you need to open up that conversation at your kitchen table and in your living rooms. You need to turn the TV off, uh, you know, once every two weeks and just have a, have a, have a honestly open, open conversation with the kids and say, listen, you know, not only is, is physical illness an issue that, that we have to live with and deal with in our lifetimes, but mental, mental illnesses also happen. And this is what depression is and all that stuff. And, and I want you to know that, you know, if you're experiencing that, you can come to us and talk about it and, we, and we'll, and we'll discuss that and, and you know so so those are the ways to have those conversations you know and and in terms of the depression support groups it is crucial because the family members may want to share some of the information with other members of the family but there's probably some stuff that they don't feel comfortable with sharing and that is the stuff that also has to be shared so I think a, a, you know a depression support groups are key ways of being able to get the support network built that uh, that you need. And I just a quick comment to you back. Um, non-judgmental is that important that people should listen without being judgmental? Yeah, and you know it, it's it's oftentimes a little bit easier said than done. I mean, we all want to be perfect human beings. We all want to be able to stand up and say, you know, I'm non-judgmental and all that stuff. But the truth of, of the matter is, we're all human beings. Uh, you know, we're, we're far from perfect. Um, and so sometimes some things that we do say or some of our replies or even the way we, we respond to some things to a person that is going through depression might not look like the appropriate reply. And therefore, the person might feel like, oh, well, they don't care or they don't understand, and they'll shut themselves off. So we've got to be very, very careful when, it, when you're looking at terms of non-judgmental and, and the way that we, we interact with a person with depression because, uh, you know, it's like going through some other mental health issues. Um, feelings can be exacerbated. Right. Now, it's that time again. We're going to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dave Galson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. 
You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel, coming soon. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dave Golson. Our topic is Family Caregivers Help Us Defeat Depression. Let's talk now about the role of family caregivers in caring for family members who are affected by depression. So, first off, what is the role of family caregivers in caring for young family members with depression? Dave? Well, depending on, on how young we're talking about, uh, you know, I'm just going to look at this around the, you know, the, the late tweens and stuff like that. Uh, you know, one in five teenagers will experience depressive mood changes. Now, not all of these mood changes are, are serious clinical depression, but, but to those who are going through it, it, it can be very, very life-altering. Um, stresses that seem minor to you and I uh, might seem very, very acute to the person who is a young adult who is going through some, some serious issues. Um, you know, this can be caused by a variety of, of different reasons, and, and, and uh, I think we have to kind of look at the teenager's life in general and seeing what's going on at school, what's going on with their friends, with, with their friends as, as a, you know, tragically, as we've all seen in, in, the, in the news and we continually to see in the news, social media plays a huge part in a, in a young person's life and as their, as their pressure is coming out from, from there and everything like that. So we have to be, be uh, understand that, you know, while a young person might seem to be going through a light depression, it could actually be a lot more serious than, than it, they let on and it appears to us. You, we don't know what, what's going on with them when they, when they go into their bedroom and they close their doors or, or you, know, you know, walk out the door in, in the morning and stuff like that. So we've got to make sure that we try and keep that open conversation uh, between the caregivers and the, and, and, and the, uh, the youth themselves. Right. I still want to, I want to stay with this question about family caregivers for the following reason, that uh, it's often very difficult um, 
with your kids to have the kind of conversations that are necessary and yet they are necessary is the impression I have and I think that you're saying as well. So could you be more specific, please, about family caregivers who are effectively moms and pops and what their role is when they think that their son or daughter in the teens, tweens, isn't doing very well as far as sadness, maybe depression, are concerned. Please say more. Every situation is going to be going to be different in itself because there's so many different challenges that, that parents are going through when it when it comes to um, you know a, a young adult or a teenager going through a, a potential depression. Some of them are are almost rebellious. Some of them are are not willing to share and open up and everything. But but I think it's the parents' responsibility when you're going through this stuff to to be I wouldn't say firm, but to be the leader. Um, you know, dealing with with the with the the youth one on one, and if that doesn't result in some opening up and some discussion, then you're going to have to reach out for some professional help. Um, it's, it's imperative that if a, if a parent is or a caregiver is thinking that a young adult is going through depression, then the chances are very very likely that that's the case. So if a person is going through depression, like any other illness, you'd go and see a, a professional. So I would say uh, establish a time when you can go together to see a counselor. It could be on-site. It could be off-site. It could be for coffee. Or it could be for, for a Coke somewhere. It could be for a casual conversation. But start that conversation with a professional. I think that's so imperative. Right. Now, what is the role of family caregivers in caring for adult family members with depression? Well, you know, that's something that's not talked about anywhere near enough is that, um, uh, you know, I had a, a father-in-law that uh, was, in a, was in a retirement home and stuff like that, and you walk into those places and it's almost um, uh, sad the way that, uh, that, that some of them are, are experiencing their, their final days. I mean, they, they're, they're lonely, they're, they're very, uh, you know, they're not connected in terms of communication with, with a lot of family members and stuff like that. So, so those are, are, are huge issues. But when you're dealing with, with uh, you know, adult people who are going through depression, again, it's it's similar situation with with youth is that uh, people want to close off. They don't want to talk about it. They don't, they don't want to share it. I mean, uh, people of my age, I'm in my 50s now, uh, you know, we were growing up, we, we were raised in a situation where we were encouraged not to talk about mental health issues because it was, it was you know, back then even more stigmatized, much more stigmatized than it is today. So when you're dealing with adults, you're dealing with people who were raised in those situations where it was, you know, you, the men were taught to talk to be tough and, and and don't cry and don't share your feelings, and and the women were were raised to to not share as much as what you should be sharing. So the the key thing here is a lack of communication, and we have to open that up. Right. Now I'm going to ask you a question that actually relates to an episode I did some months ago with a famous journalist who went through, she was very open about it, depression um, caused or associated with huge stresses in her work, stresses that were really very, very unfair. And she emphasized the importance of the support that she got from 
a family doctor and also from her husband. Now, in that sense, where do you see the spouse fitting into the situation where somebody's at work or in a stressful situation? And I guess you've been through this as well. Um, what should the family caregiver be thinking about doing? Dave? In terms of, did you say that when they're at work? Is that what you said? Yes. You see, this depression that this particular individual went through was closely related to her work. Okay. Um, coming home, I'm inventing this now. Yep. Coming home in a state of stress, depression, um, the spouse knows the, the partner well enough to know that something isn't right. What kind of advice do you have for that spouse, male or female, when uh, things are not obviously going very well? Okay. Well, the first thing that I would advise a spouse is to first uh, be willing and be very acceptable to listening because uh, the first thing that your uh, your uh, partner is going to want to do is offload. Uh, they've been carrying that uh, anger or anguish or, or uh, you know, disappointment with them for, for probably a good part of the day. So the first thing that is important is to allow that person to share those feelings, to get that out of their system a little bit. You know, and, and then... You know, one of the prime things that we have to, as employers and employees, do is realize that mental health in the workplace is is a, is a serious concern as well. You know, we spend you know a quarter of our lives in the workplace and everything like that. So we have to look at all uh, workplaces and see: do we have the supports? Do we have the resources? Do we do we uh, encourage open discussion? Um, and and that comes from you know training for man- mid managers how to talk to people uh, about uh, the illnesses. And stuff and and what not to say, but also to provide open communications ability in the workplace by you know the developing promotional materials, putting it up to billboards, and talking about mental health, you know lunch and learns and stuff like that within the workplaces. I think a lot of employers are coming on board. We just established a psychological safety in the workplace guidelines for in Canada here. And that's being that's being rolled out uh, across the country, and, and I think that employers in general are taking mental health issues serious because they realize that uh, you know unaddressed mental health issues such as depression and stuff is is actually a, a cost to their to their workplaces with lack of you know loss of productivity and and presenteeism and all that stuff. So, so but I'm, I'm getting away from the home because what you were asking me about is, is what is going on mm. in the home when they when they come home. So that's first right. thing again going back is being able to. Live Listen, but being able to try and provide advice to that to, to your partner and saying, well, maybe you should go and, and talk to your employer because you can't keep going on from day to day without addressing this. It has to be addressed one way or the other, and it's an unhealthy environment right now for you. So you need to go and sit down and talk to your manager and say, listen, you know, I'm going home at night. I am upset. I am I'm hurt. I'm feeling confused. I'm feeling unsupported, and we need to talk about this because it's, 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 a, it's a safety issue right now. You know, I'm, I'm feeling psychologically stressed. Um, so that's, that's the two things. Number one, listen to your partner when they come home and, and they share what they've gone through. And then 
talk rationally with your partner and try and provide advice on how to approach the partner's employer to discuss this and get to the root of the problem. Because, you know, in my experience, most employers want to have, you know, I mean, it's really hard for me to imagine employers who don't want to have a healthy workplace. But sometimes you need to bring it to their attention as well. Just a very quick comment back to you that sometimes I think people at work really do feel inhibited about uh, talking about these kind of issues, especially in these hard times, because of the risk of losing their jobs, being found unsuitable for the work they're doing or something of that nature. Now, that's something that in part can be real, but also in part can be... I suppose, in a way, part of the depression. That is to say, you've lost your optimism and you feel then that if you share how you feel with somebody who's got responsibility over you, who's got some power over you, you it could be used to your disadvantage. Now, just very, very quickly, do you agree with what I've just said? Yep, I agree with it, uh, Gordon. Uh, unfortunately, it still exists out there. I remember doing workshops where people had to sign up in order to come to my my workshops, and one of the participants told me, you know, I had one of my my coworkers lean over and tell me, "Are you serious? You're signing up for a mental health workshop, and you know they're downsizing." So that's the kind of yes. uh, uh, environment some people actually have to work in. But that's okay because those are the hidden stigmas and those are the hidden bad attitudes that we have out there. And I say bring that forward and let's discuss that. Bring it out into the open. If, if an employer is um, discriminating, I call it discrimination. If, if an employer is discriminating against employees, uh, who may have a mental health issue, then talk about it. Bring it out into the open. Because in my estimation, uh, employees that are, that are acting that way will have far fewer people in the pool to choose from. Right. Good. Now, it's that time for the break, so we'll take it now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Dave Golson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. 
If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dave Galson. Our topic is Family Caregivers Help Us Defeat Depression. Let's talk now about more things that you want to do, Dave, and that you want to see done to help family caregivers care for their family members with depression. And let's hear your message for family caregivers. So, first, what more do you want to do and see done to improve help for family caregivers with family members with depression? Dave? Well, the first thing that I'd like to see is, is family caregivers, you know, accessing the resources that they need in order to work with family members who are going through depression. Uh, you know, I encourage all family caregivers that do it listening to this, to this broadcast to, re- to go to mental health organizations and download some, some depression handbooks. Uh, if you go to mdsc.ca, you're going to see what is depression on the left hand side of the front page. And that's a very, very good handbook that you can, uh, uh, use in order to Learn more about what depression is and what it is, and the signs and symptoms, and and some of the uh, some of the uh, things that you can do in order to assist people who have depression. But also, other mental health organizations have similar information on their websites as well, and and uh, and that that's one thing. I'd also like to see uh, more families sharing the family caregiving roles. I mean, often what happens in, in in situations like this is one or sometimes two family caregivers will take the brunt of the workload, and we have to remember that family caregivers are also human beings and you know caring for a person with uh, with depression and stuff uh, you know can become um and you know although you, you love them love them uh, completely and all that stuff but it can also be uh, wearing down the individual who's doing the caregiving as well so it's very important for other family family members to realize that and to give that other you know family caregiver a break every now and then you know let them go out for for uh, for a movie. Let them go out for a day or something like that and take over and stuff like that. I mean, there's so many different things. Family caregivers have to learn not to try and do everything. I mean, um, so often uh, family caregivers are are you know emotionally tied to the individual, of course, but they just try and do all of the work. And you have to learn to share that workload sometimes with other members of the family. And if family members aren't willing to step up to the plate, then you have to be, uh, you know, knowledgeable. I would say knowledgeable, but just, you know, uh, open enough to come forward and ask for that help. Right. Now, what more do you want the healthcare and social services systems generally to do to improve help for family caregivers with family members with depression? Okay. Well, I guess one of one of the things that I'd like to talk about here is, you know, uh, home care is just is such an important component of the healthcare system in Canada, and you know, it's so often the case is that you know those with funds and with 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 the money can can hire, you know, home healthcare services, uh, and they do so, and and that's wonderful. But there's a lot of families out there, in particular. 
when it comes to being, uh, you know, a little bit older in age and everything like that, that there's not a lot of money to hire outside help. And in fact, many cases that there's there's absolutely no money to hire outside help and all that stuff. So the burden always falls on the husband or the wife or or the son or the daughter and stuff like that. And I just think that it would be really nice to to see some more coordinated efforts uh, between the provinces and the territories in order to support family caregivers a little bit more. I know they're doing some some work now, and it's it's great the the, the support that they're given. But I, I think we could, you know, we're all getting older in age. We're all going to be looking forward to this this uh, family caregiving ourselves. And I think it's important that we make sure that we lay the foundation in the right way to make sure that the help is going to be there as we move forward. This is just an extension to what you extension question. You do feel, do you, then, that there is a move to recognize uh, family caregivers and their role in caring for family members with depression, but mental illnesses generally, and that you sound as though you're reasonably optimistic that that movement is going to grow. Is that right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And let me let me really clarify things. I don't, I don't want any mixed feelings about how I feel about all this. We did a national survey a couple of years ago. We had over 3,100 Canadians take part in this survey. And on average, uh, the wait times that they experienced between coming forward with a mental illness and actually uh, receiving help was between nine months and a year. So here's the typical situation of what happens when a person comes forward with a mental illness in a, in a, in a family that's never had one before. A, the family does not know about depression, does not know about mental illnesses because they've never been exposed to it in their lifetime. All of a sudden, they have a, 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 an elderly parent, they have a young young uh, adult, or they have a wife or a husband that all of a sudden gets stricken by depression or bipolar disorder or anxiety disorder or a, a myriad of other illnesses. Now, they've got to realize that they have somebody that's ill in the family. So the next step they do is they start looking for help. They don't know where to turn to. They don't know who to contact except for the family physician. So that's usually the first person that they go to. And then the family physician gives them the information that that just starting the ball off. And one of the top things that they always say is you have to learn more about this illness, and I'm going to refer you to a specialist. So then you've got psychologists that are not covered by health, provincial, or territorial health care plans that you can only pay for them if you're, you have work insurance or you're involved with some institution that has that covered. So you refer to a psychiatrist. In many cases, a psychiatrist, it takes a long time to see one. So they're kind of caught between the world and they're navigating the healthcare system. And so they start moving into, you know, the, the community uh, uh, counseling centers and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is that the demand is so high out there for mental health services that we're all waiting in one way or the other. Okay. So when you're waiting and when you're learning, all of that work—not I shouldn't say work—but all of that responsibility is transferred to the family caregivers. It's transferred to the families. So the families are not only trying to help that person who is ill, but they are also got the extra burden of having to learn what mental illness is, what depression is, what anxiety disorders is, how to navigate the healthcare system, how long is it going to take. Now we've got to learn about medications. Oh, my, my loved one went on medication, but it's not working. How long does it take to work? Do I have to change the levels of medication? Do I have to change medications? It's, a, it, it's just an overwhelming 
amount of things that a cam- family caregiver has to go through, especially within that first year, okay? So is the burden with the family caregiver? Yes, it is. Is there enough supports for family caregivers? No, there's not. If you look at all of the things that family caregivers have to go through when a loved one gets ill, it's, 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 it's added to the stress of the illness itself. So right. that's why when I said earlier on that sometimes when a person is depressed, it also ends up making a family caregiver also ill. It's very, very true. You know, you have somebody that's going through a serious mental illness, and all of a sudden the person that's closer to maybe the mother, the wife, the husband, the father, the daughter, they become so stressed that they themselves become ill. Right. So I hope no, that answers your question. Yes, it does. And unfortunately, we're coming very close to the end. So I want you to give us very, very quickly your elevator pitch, your message to families and family caregivers with family members with depression. What's your message to you? My message is, is for everybody out there. First of all, thank you very much because, you know, you're caring for your loved ones. You're doing exactly what you need to do in, in, in these very, very crucial times. Don't be afraid. Uh, don't think that mental illness is something that is, you know, abnormal. Because mental illnesses and depression are normal things that people go through. It's part of us being human beings. The third thing I'd say is, you know, reach out and help each other, uh, support each other, make sure that you have an open line of communication amongst your families, try and get as educated as you can. Don't wait till it happens before you actually become engaged in mental health and learn what it is and what it isn't and all that stuff. And uh, for, you know, for, for help, go to our website. And if you're, in, in, you know, in cities in Canada, join the Defeat Depression campaign. <laughs> right. Now, on that point, I want to say, Dave, thank you, first of all, for talking to us in the way you have and sharing your own experience and your own insights and your own advice. And what I want to say to you on behalf of everyone is that work, that project of defeating depression by encouraging, by supporting and developing community care in communities that people can engage with, work together in, and reach out and help others. I think that work is profoundly important and something that I can only say I wish you every, every success with because it's what's needed. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about topics, ideas for topics, or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. And in our next episode, we'll talk about family caregivers and adverse events in home care. So please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 